Life Audio. Hey, welcome to Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sindri, and I'm starting a new series. Very powerful. It will feel different than the last two, the Sermon on the Mount or the Song of Songs. I'm still looking at a specific biblical passage in depth, Galatians 5. But it's going to feel more like um, discipleship and spiritual formation, maybe spiritual counseling. And I'm going to specifically target addicts. But listen, here's my thought process. First, we're all addicts. It's brain science. And second, if there is some aspect of the gospel that works for hardcore addicts, and there is, and I think I can show you that, then imagine what it can do with you and the rest of the folks in the pew. Uh, and again, addiction is a scale, 0 to 10. Some people may be 9s and 8s. You may be a 2 or 3. We're all on that scale. So who benefits from this show, this series? Do you feel that every time you try to do good, to move forward in your Christian life, your spiritual life, it just falls flat? I mean, like Paul, what you want to do, you just can't seem to pull off, at least not for a long period of time. You might go in surges. Relational mess-ups, bad choices, emotional issues, you have struggle to forgive, addictions killing you, lack joy, peace, faith, hope. You feel more anxious and lonely. You seem to argue more. Well, this is Paul's magnum opus on ongoing Christian strategies. Galatians 5, right? The works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. Nothing could be more in point. You are in the middle of a war. In fact, The war is in the middle of you. And I'm not quite sure why we don't emphasize this enough. What you will hear and learn in this series, and you've probably never really heard before in such relevant modern terms, is all of this about the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. I think the series could be life-changing. You will not be able to fix the problems by working harder. I mean it, no shame. You need the power to change, the P2C. And so, like I said, if the gospel can help addicts, hardcore addicts, think what it can do to the rest. Great news, but we have to see and apply the gospel differently. Paul calls this thing that we're working against your flesh, but it's you. We all have it. It's at war against the spirit in us, struggling Christian. So often you choose a strategy to cover up or or dull the works of the flesh with a wide variety of human dope hits. In Song of Songs terms, you run to your city, and it works in the moment, and that's the addictive part of it, the habitual part of it, but it costs you dearly. It costs you relationally in the long run. There's another way that that works. It's a baby step, but it should be noticeable by you, and others should notice the difference. So at the end of the podcast, I'm going to give you a simple tool that has a history of helping those who struggle, and in particular, addicts, and you can do it. No shame. And listen, if this helps you, give us a shout out and let us know. Bill at gospel-app.com. Make sure you follow the podcast. Um, we are going to uh, post the, the top comments on the podcast page. So give it a shot. All right. Well, we'll get started after a word from our sponsors. See you in a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. 
Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Here's Galatians 5, 13 to 18. So don't get caught up, by the way, in the scripture. I'm going to unpack all of this stuff. And I think every part of the way you'll, you'll go, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Galatians 5, 13 to 18. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit. That's important. And you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit of the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under law. Well, this is the 60th year since the Washington, D.C. speech of Dr. Martin Luther King. It was about freedom. Freedom for all, not just some. And it resonated with so many Americans. We have a very mixed history of applying freedom to all, tragically. But we can agree that freedom for all is the goal. And in fact, we worship freedom here in the United States. It's not distinct to us as a people, but it's our motto. I mean, people come from all over the world to here, I mean, here to be free, to be able to live their lives in a way that they want, to be able to do what they want without restraints, without controls. It's true for our pioneer fathers and mothers who came here to carve for themselves a new life in this wilderness without the encroachment of a society, young men and women searching for their fortune in gold and silver and mining and natural resources. And it's now true for those who were brought here against their wills for slaves, right? And wars were even fought to gain freedom for them. Political wars are still being fought for freedom for various groups. I mean, in my lifetime, women. And I think it's the heart of Native Americans before the Europeans and the Africans and others came. We're a land who, of people who want freedom, who want clean air, space to move. We want freedom, not perfect, but it seems to be our shared goal for most of us anyway, or, or what we hope. All right, let's look at freedom. An expanded, sloppy definition of freedom is this. It's the ability to do whatever I want to do. I mean, nobody would actually say that, but, you know, that's what I'm thinking within reason, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else or break the law, right? Well, you know, the extreme of such a freedom is to have a life independent of any commitment or any restraint, and then I'm really free to choose among many options. No barriers to whatever I want. I mean, are you seeing anyone? Oh, no, I'm free. <laughs> I don't have to ask anyone if I go out with the guys. I don't have to come home. I don't have to call. I'm not tied down. I can watch all the porn I want. I can drink until I throw up. I can gamble all my cash if I want to. Right? I can be whoever I want to be. Right now, I think there's 15 non 
binary genders, you know, that you can identify with, probably more. The tragedy in all of this freedom is that this freedom is not really freedom at all. In fact, I'm going to say that, you know, we all know that. Okay, let's look at the issue externally and internally. Externally. In spite of the fact that I give lip service to the notion that it's okay that my freedom is limited by others' freedom, it's a limit. (laughs) I don't like limits. I can't go anywhere I want. I can't do anything I want. That grapes me. I, I can live up the hill, down the hill, by the ocean, in the mountains. I can live this area or that area. But still, I need to curb my freedom. There are still neighbors, there's families, there's government regulations, there's HOA regulations, parking rules. I, I try to enjoy my bounded freedom, but I'm not really free, not in a big sense. How about internally? I've also got internal problems with freedom. I have a hard time doing what I seem to want to do because I want conflicting things. I can't do everything I want because I want schizo things. I want to live a long and healthy life, but you know what? I like Burger King sausage and egg biscuits. Those things don't necessarily go together. I want to be thin, but I'm a foodie. I want to be educated, but I don't want to study. I want to gamble, but I kind of like money in my pocket. So sometimes our want-tos are harmful to our desire for freedom. Someone may want free sex. But then there's fear of disease or having unwanted pregnancies. There's the emotional hits. Others may want to party, but then have to work. Others may want to self-medicate or do porn or gamble to the point that it's destroying our lives and those around us. I want to be free of relational constraints, free of hindering commitments. I want to be easy rider, if you remember that movie. I guess I'm showing my age. But I don't want to be lonely. I want to belong as long as it doesn't affect my freedom. Do you hear the inconsistencies? It's even more true for Christians. Believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us, in our inner being, Paul says, Ephesians 3. Um, And this is good, but he brings with him conflict. And Paul, by the way, the mature Paul, at the end of his ministry, wrestles with these same freedom issues, Romans 7, 15 and following. He says, I don't even understand what I'm doing. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who does it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. And today we'd say, what a loser. Well, Paul, he sounds more like a conflicted man versus a a free man. He sounds like an addict. (laughs) What he wants to do, he doesn't do. What he doesn't want to do, he does. It's not freedom according to anyone's definition. Paul argues that he's not free to do good. (laughs) Right? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. In fact, there's a battle raging within. And this is where counselors make their money, right? Help us figure out why I don't feel free. And, And Paul is a slave to what he calls the flesh. Here's one New Testament scholar. The spirit and the flesh constitute an apocalyptic antinomy. I'll get to that. 
in the sense that they are two opposed orbs of power, actively at war with one another since the apocalyptic advent of Christ and his spirit. The space in which human beings now live is newly invaded space. And that means that its structures cannot remain unchanged. Well, who's the invader? (laughs) The Holy Spirit. And what's the newly invaded space? Well, me. You, if you're a Christian, you're midbrain. Right? Christian? Here's another quote. Either way, man's quote-unquote free will chooses. He is up against a powerful force. Does the man choose evil? The spirit opposes him. Does he choose good? The flesh hinders him. Right? So, we so often like to flaunt our will as being free. You know, I have free will. It's a war cry for so many Christians. But let me ask, what does it mean, free will? I mean, honestly, it's impossible for a neutral, objective free will. Try it sometimes. Here's a challenge. Do only good things for other people for 24 hours. And get back to me, bill at gospel-app.com. You see, even if we use the world's understanding, the meaning of freedom, I'm not free. I'm in conflict. I am in an ongoing struggle. I'm a slave. I am a stumbling fool, unable to find joy that comes from freedom, rest. The rabbis had a word for this, quote, inclination or tendency within us that drives us to do evil. They call it the yes, sir. It's the flesh. The flesh since the fall has gone sour. It is corrupt and self-centered. The flesh can't have a real notion of freedom, though it uses the term all the time. Does anyone remember the 1964 classic movie, Dr. Strangelove? Check it out. Peter Sellers, he plays an insane military expert who just about destroys the world in the Cold War. He suffers from alien arm syndrome. <laughs> you know, do you remember? It's his right arm had a mind of its own. It would move the wheelchair by itself. It did a Nazi salute, whatever it wanted to, embarrassingly. It even tried to strangle him at one point. It's an actual real syndrome, by the way. So let me put it in that terminology. Christian addicts and others, you have an alien heart syndrome or an, more accurately, an alien midbrain syndrome. Your brain has a mind of its own and does what it wants to do. And you probably knew that before I said it. I'm just giving you words. And if you don't believe me, just stop your addiction. Go ahead. But I'm sure you've tried. Stop needing people. Stop complaining. Stop being a victim. Start being thankful and joyful. Just choose all of those things. Stop. You wouldn't think these would be so hard if our prefrontal cortex was in charge. Well, cheer up. You're less free than you thought. <laughs> uh, here's Eugene Peterson. Paul rips the mask off propagandizing phrases like self-expression, freedom to be yourself, doing your own thing, and uncovers the deceptions that promise liberation but do not fulfill it. Sin never admits its true character. Well, in one sense, this doesn't seem like too good of news, right? But when I was an unbeliever... I wasn't free either, but I thought I was. I guess ignorance is bliss, but now, now I am enveloped in an even larger internal battle. 
You know you're a Christian when you sense this battle raging within you. Show me a dynamic Christian. I'll show you someone to one degree or another is miserable and joyful. Are you with me? Miserable and joyful. Anyway, it's a good time for a commercial break so you can sort of chew on this stuff. When I get back, I'm going to talk about how to begin to experience a little real freedom today. We'll see you in a moment. So how are we set free biblically? It begins when a believer understands that their experiential and existential freedom is dependent upon a living, breathing, ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. Right? Here's Paul, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This is an imperative, Paul says, so do it. And there will be a result. There's a promise to the imperative. So question, what is the thing that you and I are being commanded by Paul to do? Often what happens, I'm not quite sure why, is we flip that and do it backwards. We, we command that you do not live according to the desires of the sinful nature. We make the wrong end of the equation the imperative. So stop drinking. Stop porn. Stop gambling. Stop cutting. Stop eating too much, too little. Right? Stop having sex outside biblical constraints. But you've tried that. And you felt the shame for failing. You've gone to self-medication to deal with the shame of failure. And then the cycle just continues and, and increases. Instead, Paul provocatively says, so you want to know what to do so that your spiritual life just takes off and you experience a less and less desire to gratify the desires of the sinful flesh? Well, here it is. Live by the Spirit. There you go. Live by the Spirit. So, so Okay. Uh, how? What does that mean? So let me begin by telling you that I may have well have said the cure for you is to fly, <laughs> right? Just flap your arms enough, get a running start, and fly, brother, sister, fly. Well, you can't do that. You're not designed for it, right? You can't just grunt and strain and live by the Spirit either, Ugh. not on your own power. And I'm going to give you baby steps where you can begin to lean into that, so stay close. Let me tell you what living by the Spirit is all about. The idea is to conduct your life 100% dependent upon the Spirit's power all the time. Not your power, but the Spirit's love. Not yours, but the Spirit's motivation. Not yours. And guess what? When you do that, your selfish desires shrivel. They atrophy. They diminish their power over you a little. By the way, that's heaven, ultimately, but we're going to head that direction. It's his will, not your free will. See, the more you're defending your free will, I'm just suggesting you're out of sync. Your will, your midbrain, will deeply resist choosing to submit to the Holy Spirit's will. It's, it's kind of its job. Submission to your midbrain is a four-letter word. And by the way, in the United States, just look. Look how many midbrains are popping up. Your flesh is going to fight against you submitting to the Spirit with all of its might, largely subconsciously. So to be clear, what Paul is referring to is not just praying more or going to church more or being nicer or tithing or reading your Bible more. Do those, by the way. Those are good things. But that's not this. 
It's a moment-by-moment direction, control, and guidance by the Spirit. It happens when you're repentant of self-management, you're less than free will, and submit, there's that four-letter word again, to the Spirit. You choose today to give up your freedom. By faith, we'll show you how. We'll show you how to begin that path and take the Spirit's lead. Step one, step two, step three. It's the only thing that works. And yet, you can't do it. Not on your own. Go ahead. Try. Well, why can't you do it? Because you're addicted. You're addicted to alcohol and drugs and cutting and porn and what other people think about you, your reputation to your success. And you're driven to have relationships that are inappropriate. Right? Are you depressed? Are you feeling like a failure? Right? All of these things are pretty common to humanity, addicts and not. Their desire of the sinful nature. You want freedom from the powers that now drive you? One way, live by the Spirit. I'm going to show you how to do this. Little baby steps, right? The beginning. The truth of the matter is that the Galatians were not falling short because they were ignorant of the law or undisciplined with regard to the law. I bet they were tithers and churchgoers. They weren't walking by the Spirit. That's the point Paul is making, and neither are most of us most of the time. Freedom from your sinful nature's desires, and by the way, the power of addictions over you, comes when you see your need for such an active relationship with the Spirit. Are we getting it? You do not intrinsically have the power to do good. The Spirit is necessary, counterpart to the flesh in Christians. Man cannot, by a simple decision of his own, reverse his own egocentricity, says Barrett. His attempts to do so issue in the many man-centered forms of religious and philosophical thought. Wow. <laughs> wow, too often we confuse living by the Spirit with obeying the law. It's not the same thing at all. The Spirit is the only remedy. We are self-centered people filled with the Spirit able to choose which path to go down after frustration after frustration, trying to live in the Spirit, law kind of sounds like a good idea. You know, I, knowing my flesh, would logically think that the law is the corrective for my flesh, but it is not. My flesh feeds on the law. It will quickly become legalism and a power base from which to control. Loopholes will be found and abused. Self-deception will flourish. I will die. And though it seems like a huge bungee jump, the spirit is the only enemy with power against the flesh. All right, that's Barrett again. Let me tell you what he's saying. So trying hard, using the law, trying to obey the law, trying to do good, do the rules, do the law, is like a swimming pool full of sharks and cutting yourself. It's, it's going to start a feeding frenzy in your own being. So doing the law isn't going to fix your flesh. You can't just try harder. You need the power of the Spirit. Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Man, Paul does one of his magical shifts. We would expect to hear that if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the flesh. But he says, you're not under law. And provocatively equating somehow flesh and law. The flesh loves the law. (laughs) That's the point. The power of the Spirit hates the flesh. Okay? 
This conditional sentence clearly shows that Paul does not regard the believer simply as a helpless spectator or unwilling pawn in the fierce battle between the flesh and the spirit. The assumption is rather that the Christian can be freed from an enslavement to the power that is the flesh within us. How by choosing over and over to actively presently submit to the spirit's lead and empowerment. Thomas Chalmers called this the expulsive power of new affections. I love that. Expulsive power of new affections. And here's the key. I can access such a new affection power by asking for it from God's celestial stores. I think maybe we don't do it because it sounds too simple. It takes real work, by the way, a concerted effort daily, hour by hour, moment by moment. Then there's an ongoing war inside of us at the same time, right? And we're choosing to submit to one or the other right now anyway. The idea is which one. So there is something that you can do and are commanded to do. We're just not saying don't do anything or fake it till you make it. There are steps that you can do that won't trigger your midbrain's defenses, Yeah? And what's the goal? Is it freedom to do whatever I want to do? Well, yes and no. We link freedom and independence together. It's American. It's our roots, as I've described. But biblically, freedom is linked with dependence, not independence. It turns out that independence is a pipe dream anyway. I'm not really independent. I have this power within me that's driving me, that's overwhelming, demanding to be fed, to be stroked. I'm a slave to my flesh. To the degree that I am, I am subhuman. I'm not who I should be. Doesn't it make sense that we're not really free? And that's good news. So I can run to the Holy Spirit and say, help, make me dependent upon you. Make me feel your motivations, your powers. Make me feel loved. Make me feel love for others. Make me desire others' well-being. Make me sacrificial. Make me submit. Go for it, Holy Spirit. And, it, you know, even as I say it, it sounds so un-American. I don't like make-me prayers. I've had so many Christians tell me that they feel much more comfortable, more Jesus-esque by, by just saying, God, help me. Right? The help me prayer, that's largely well-meaning, but I think denial. I mean, are you saying by help me that I'm doing pretty well on my own? with sanctification and maybe 90%, 95%, and I just need the Holy Spirit to kind of top me, top me off, hand me, a, you know, give me a hand for the other 5 or 10%. Really? Brother, sister, see, you need more than help. Your midbrain is deeply invested in your independence from God more than you know. Make me feel your love, God. Make me love others. Start now. And it turns out that this make me ask is what we were designed for in the garden. In that dependent relationship alone can we experience real humanity, higher purpose, glorious identity, wholeness, so much better. All of those are so much better than freedom, than free will. You have probably heard the metaphor of the birds and the fishes. You know, we have tons of little hummingbirds demanding to be fed at my house. Glorious birds. The picture of freedom, right? But, you know, is the hummingbird really free? Can they go to outer space? I don't think so. Can they swim? I definitely don't think so. Can they walk on freeways? No. They are what they are, and they thrive in that context. They're slaves to their context. They're dependent. They just don't seem to have bought the lie that they were meant for more. You know, desire to swim, hummingbird. Well, that'd be ridiculous, right? 
So where are we free? Where do we flourish and grow and achieve our potential? Hold on to your hats. We're designed to flourish, to grow, to fly in the context of being dependent upon God, needing his fruit, his motivation, his wisdom, his capacity, his power. That's how Adam and Eve were made. They blew it when they stopped being dependent upon God and his wisdom for a second. It only took once. How many times have you eaten from the, that middle tree recently? It is the fruit of you really don't need to go and ask God. You've got this. He will just be so pleased that you did this on your own. You're like a God. He loves that. <laughs> no, that's not how they were made or me. So do you mean, Pastor Bill, that I need to give up my control? Well, that's so binding and demeaning. Well, biblically, freedom is a function of such dependence. Biblically, freedom and independence do not mix. We got it all wrong. God's ways are distinctly different from our ways. The Spirit not only sets me free to submit, He only empowers and miraculously changes my motivation to want to submit. So I can't do it without His power. The submission is intrinsically related to love, loving and being loved, and such a higher love is a fruit of the Spirit too. No other place in the universe. Love is a characteristic of God only accessible to us because of the Spirit's presence within us. We can only experience such love as when we submit to His will. As we do that, it's not our love at all. There's no room for pride or judgment here. If I love, believe me, you can credit God. And when, as an act of newly accessed submission, I love, I'm actually fulfilling the law. Verse 13 of Galatians 5, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. It's the fruit. So push back. This biblical freedom is a function of willing, ongoing dependence upon the Spirit. So, addict, you need the Spirit to make you depend upon God today, tomorrow, and the next. You can't do it on your own. You won't do it on your own. So such biblical freedom, which is a function of active submission, is no peripheral concern for Paul. It's central. It cannot be taken for granted. It must be vigorously guarded. It's not something that can be put in a bank vault and kept safe. Each day, we must take up the stance of submitting again actively. Each hour, if we fail to stand deliberately and consciously, the freedom that comes from such submission will be lost experientially. Were you driven by the desires of the flesh today? Yeah. Well, you don't, do you want to be free? If you just try hard to not do the desires of the flesh or addiction, you're going to fail big time. Instead, submit your dysfunctional will, repent of its motivation, and by faith walk by the Spirit. I'll show you how. There you're going to find and know glimpses of freedom. You'll see the difference. And that's our focus uh, for this series. It's the make me prayers. Well, how do you know when it happens? Well, you're going to begin to love others. That's what Paul was saying. God and other people, neighbors, in ways you've never dreamed of. And, and there you will know wonderful, scary kind of freedom. And you're going to see that what you've been striving for was a pathetic parody of that freedom. Really, just another work of the flesh. Right? Not real. More temporary. 
Your midbrain hates submitting to anyone, including God, and it's going to fight against you. You will need power from him. How? You ask him. Uh, and here's a baby step that anyone can do who's a Christian. Uh, you will be surprised how it will help addict. It's helped a lot of addicts. You can do this. Listen, and I'm going to ask you to say this twice a day for 45 days, but just listen let it wash over you now. Jesus follower addict, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. And this is true whether you shake your addiction or not. Wow. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple. Good news. There is something you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you. Here it is. To make you know, experience and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. Wow. Okay, listen, this this is a powerful gospel presentation to your midbrain. So I'm going to ask you, are you noticing something different? Something a little, are you feeling a little less stressed? Are you feeling a little more loved by God? A little more hopeful? Are you uh, thinking less about self-medicating? Yeah? Um, Are you smiling a little bit? That's good. Say this simple, uncluttered gospel twice a day for 45 days. And let me know what you think along the way. Bill at gospel-app.com. Well, you can get the simple, uncluttered gospel at bookmark form from gospelrant.com or gospel-app.com. Get a bunch of them. Put them all over your home and your car and your workplace. By the way, give them to your 12th step group. They will thank you. Uh, Thanks to Life Audio for their partnership. Make sure that you follow this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us your thoughts on this podcast and series, Bill at gospel-app.com. I'm going to post some of the best of the comments on uh, gospelrant.com. So thanks. Take heart, child of God. In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app.